Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us for the Tennessee Power Hour, second hour of each show. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick360, and we hope you'll subscribe on YouTube by searching out Outkick360. Subscribe to the channel, and you can hit the bell so you're alerted to every time we go live, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, and, of course, exclusive content posted there as well. Um, coming to the Instagram page... We have the warm-up each and every day, 10 minutes prior to the start of the show, 10 minutes before we go live, we have the 360 warm-up. We have the 360 debrief today, right after the show. Chad, you're a special guest, along yeah. with uh, the, the production assistants. Yeah, Jake Popoff, Regan McCrossan will uh, host today, and uh, I will join them. So okay. we've got some exciting things coming to uh, all of your favorite social media platforms. So in an effort, as we kick off the Tennessee Power Hour, to go a layer or two deeper than just saying, oh, you know, Julio Jones, are you worried about his injury history in 2020? Uh, do you think the Titans can make the trade? What's the value? Do they have the cap room? What, what would it take to restructure Ryan Tannehill? Let's just go a layer or two deeper in an effort to really see why the Titans uh, are not only the Vegas favorite, why they need to make the trade for Julio Jones. Early in the season is what I'm going to reference here from last year. The 4-0 start, the first quarter of the season. You can say, you know what, it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. The Titans needed their unbeaten start to get where they ended up, despite the loss to Baltimore in the postseason. And this first graphic that we'll reference is what they've lost. Jonu Smith and Corey Davis. They start 4-0, and and I'm going to highlight loosely what these guys did in that 4-0 start. Jonu Smith led the team with 221 yards receiving. He led the team with five touchdown receptions. He led the team with 18 receptions. Corey Davis, second in yards, and he had a touchdown. He hauled in 15 catches. Smith and Davis combined accounted for 427 of the Titans' 1,004 total yards through the first four weeks. Six of the team's nine total touchdowns came from 84 and 81. Now add in this, and what I didn't add to the graphic is at the bottom right corner, specifically with Adam Humphreys. We add in Adam Humphreys when he was healthy, 15 catches, 136 yards, and a score. So in total, 56% of their offensive production in a 4-0 start came from these three guys. And I select those four games because they won all four, and they did so at a time when Derrick Henry was not at his best. In fact, over these four games, Derrick Henry averaged 3.7 yards per carry. Over the final 12 games, Derrick Henry averaged 5.9. So Henry was not at his best. Teams were loading the box. And A.J. Brown, also not to the level that he ended up with. For the full season, the second and third pass targets are gone. 13 of their 33 touchdowns are gone. 1,432 of their receiving yards, which was nearly 4,000 passing yards, gone. And excluding Humphreys because he obviously wasn't healthy, you're missing two critical pieces of that production. So when we reference Jonu Smith and Corey Davis have not been replaced, you can say, oh, well, they, they brought in you know certain players. They, Hutton, they brought in Reynolds. They, they drafted Fitzpatrick. Uh, they, they have Anthony Ferkser, not the same. They have not done enough. Um, and the offense takes a step back for a defense that needed to drastically improve. We can 
discuss how good the offense was, and ultimately it was not good enough in the playoffs. Baltimore did a great job corralling Tannehill, getting after him, and then the defense had its issues. My point, though, is I think we're almost undervaluing the, the value of Smith and Davis in, in, because we're looking at a total season structure and pointing to Derrick Henry's 2,000 yards, pointing to A.J. Brown being an alpha number one wideout. When it was these two guys that led the offense to get them to an unbeaten October, going into October, when I, I, and they, I, I realized they started 5-0. and They beat Houston. And we'll, I'm going to break down Houston separate and apart from the 4-0 start moving forward because that's when I thought they started to show some cracks in the armor. Defensively especially. Defensively especially, and then they lost two straight after that game. Yep. But the 4-0 start, Smith and Davis came up big in some really close games. 16-14, to 33-30, 31-30, 42-16 is the Buffalo week. You had a healthy Lawan. As, a, as a factor here, he got hurt in the fifth game, I believe. Yes. Um, and and I don't think you should dismiss the Adam Humphreys element either. Not huge numbers, but a reliable when healthy, which yeah. was not often enough. Um, a reliable guy who sensed where the chains were, could get you a first down. They don't have that guy either. Uh, you know, they have they they didn't go out and find that guy either. So he's not been replaced. Like if I said. Who's Adam Humphreys on this team? A lot of people would say, well, who's the injured guy who doesn't play? I'm saying healthy. Who's the chain-finding slot guy? Most people would say, well, now it's Ferkser. Well, he can't replace Humphreys and Smith simultaneously. Um, so now you're pulling Batson up. You know, you're pulling guys into bigger roles, which is fine. But Cam Batson, I like Cam Batson. But, I mean, Cam Batson wasn't clearly ahead of Khalif Raymond last year, and they let Khalif Raymond go without a second thought, who those guys, they could have kept as a restricted free. Those guys are one, two, three touches a game. Yes. Like. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that underrated what's lost. And then, you know, you're talking about a, a solid start there, which was a crucial piece to their season, a crucial piece to anybody's season. They finally weren't chasing which we've talked time and time again after slow starts is an exhausting yeah. proposition to get back to 500 and right. climb. And this year, you know, you would like for them to have some room for error for Todd Downing, who's going to speak in a little while, by the way, um, because Todd Downing might need some time to figure some things out. And he surely is going to need some time to figure some things out if he's working with, after A.J. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Cam Batson, Nick Westbrook-Akina, who we all have a good laugh about because he's been written about as potentially their second wide receiver, which we find laughable. If he if he is a key guy for them, it needs to be a surprise, not a plan. Right. Well, great job with those stats, by the oh, way. I've never seen we're it. We're just getting started. I've never seen it from that angle of uh, what the Titans are missing. But I, I just jotted this down, just simple plus and minuses. Minus, just offensively for the Titans. Arthur Smith, Corey Davis, John U. Smith. Plus... Todd Downing, Des Fitzpatrick, Josh Reynolds. Which do you take? Yeah, it's no brain. Offense is much worse. I mean, I think just looking at that, face value, Taylor Wan is back. Big help. They drafted a tackle, Raidens, in the second round. Should be a help for the offense. But I bet he doesn't start for six weeks. But again, outside of that, I'm talking about guys that will touch the football, skilled playmakers, and one of the best play-calling offensive minds in football that's now a head coach – 
and you bring in Todd Downing, who may be the next Arthur Smith. We don't know. Des Fitzpatrick, Josh Reynolds, that's not going to scare a lot of people. The more I see things like this, the more I think it's uh, it's almost imperative yeah. they add well, Julio Jones if they even want to believe they could be anywhere close to what they were last year. And for those listening on the podcast, for those watching, maybe you're thinking, hey, I thought you said you were going to go a layer too deeper because I, I just mentioned stats for the first four games. Here's where we go a layer deeper because I'm going to tell you exactly when these guys came up big and how the Titans get back to where they were, which was a very good top of the NFL offense. Um, and their defense was not good enough. That we acknowledge. They got there because of their precision and their clutch performance offensively. And, and here's a graphic to relay exactly where Davis and Janu helped out the most. The Titans had obvious problems on defense, and they lost time of possession by a lot. They had to cash in on a huge rate of drives, and they did. They averaged 2.84 points per possession. That's second best in the NFL. Three and out just 16% of the time in 2020. That's eighth best in the NFL. A successful play rate where they gained at least 50% needed to gain a first down on second and third down. They did that 55.5% of the time. Second best in the league That's in that category. Tannehill. Let's, let's mention the play action here. Tannehill completed 65% of his second and third down pass attempts. The Titans ranked 26th in percentage of plays on second and third down that were passes. So they're fairly low in that area, but they converted a first down in that category, fifth best among all of those plays. No quarterback threw for more second and third down play action yards than Ryan Tannehill, and to a point where he had I think, a total of 763 play action yards on second and third down combined. Second best in the league is Patrick Mahomes, and Tannehill beat him by 158 more yards in that category. Primary targets on play action, Davis and Smith, 41 of the 93 total catches on play action. The bottom part of this graphic, you see A.J. Brown, who had his fair share of big plays on play action, 417 yards of his total came on play action. Look at Corey Davis, 539 the Titans' leaders in this category, yardage was Corey Davis. John U. Smith had four touchdowns on play action. Catches Corey Davis with 24. In comparison, A.J. Brown had 20. Derrick Henry had 11. Across the NFL, you see the numbers at the bottom where they rank. That is a, a, a yards across the NFL on play action by the top receivers in the league. The Titans made their money on this and with the run game. To summarize. Fourth and seventh. Here. Yes. To summarize, Henry's the key to the Titans' offense. Brown is the number two key to the Titans' offense. But if you can load up on Henry and you're going to double-team A.J. Brown, then what? The Tennessee Titans are going to play a few games where they overcome obstacles and faults regardless of who they have offensively. Like, we're going to see wins. Are we going to see wins on games where it's 33-30, 31-30, 16-14 to open the season when the going gets tough and you need someone to move the sticks and you have someone on play action that's going to come up big? Two of their biggest pieces are not there. And A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry Harr, beyond, beyond that, Fitzpatrick, Ferkser, Reynolds, Darrington Evans, who is apparently running some at wide receiver. I mean, it's just... 
it's just not enough. Now, I, I said I'm going to mention Julio without mentioning stats. Now throw in Julio Jones into the mix via trade for an offense that put up these numbers last year, and all of a sudden, you're better than you were a year ago. And it's also, what you're looking at right now is, with, with this graphic and the stats you laid out, Hutton, is they are going to rely on Josh Reynolds and Anthony Ferkser to be Corey Davis and John U. Smith. And right now just, they are. And they're just not. Julio Jones changes that. Julio Jones is better than Corey Davis. You upgrade that Corey Davis play-action target, what Corey Davis can do. You still have you still don't have John U. Smith. Right. But then Anthony Ferkser can slide more into what his role should be, and I think if they, that's the case. The, 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 the argument against it is, well, you didn't know that Corey Davis and John U. Smith were going to be this when Arthur Smith started calling plays. That's correct. But I think that the, the counter to those who will point to give these guys a chance would be they've had opportunities to step up, uh, Ferkser in particular. And while he has, I mean, he had a 100-yard receiving game last year. Uh, I believe it was in against Houston in week five. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I'm trying to recollect all this. Um, it's nothing consistent. The, the numbers that I point to are consistent contributors to an offense that was elite with Davis and Janu. What we have is a, a, a mix and match of players trying to replace that production that over the course of their career have not been consistent. They've been good at times, but not week in, week out contributors. Ferkser breaks out for a seven reception, 100 yard performance, and over the next three games will combine for two catches. Yeah, and you can't say like they didn't know what they had in Corey Davis and Johnny Smith and got this. Corey Davis was the fifth pick in the draft. There's a huge resource yeah. invested in Corey Davis. Johnny Smith was a third rounder. That's a significant but, resource. But they're pointing These to these guys. But Josh Reynolds to, is a middling free agent. They're pointing to the the offense though with Smith joining Arthur Smith as, well, you didn't know that Corey Davis was going to do this with Arthur well, Smith. Well, they were waiting for Corey Davis to do this for five years. Agreed. Yeah. And, and the investment and I do was think there. They Josh Reynolds, Smith knowing this was the potential. Yes. With his athleticism. And he was a, a, a bit of a slow learner. Yeah. Yes. Delaney, he was behind Delaney right. initially. There was no room for him to do this when Delaney Walker was in front of right. him. I mean, that, that's crazy to indicate that the resources they've spent on these positions are anything close to the resources they'd spent on these positions with Corey Davis and Johnny Smith. Completely dissimilar. That that's the big concern here. It's not that these guys are unproven. It's that these guys are not. Uh, there's no evidence to suggest they have the capacity to do what Davis and Smith have done. Even if you're looking at four guys to do the work of two, who are those four guys? You know, Ferkser has. Uh, look, Ferkser has great hands. It's Fitzpatrick. He's, he's and going Reynolds. to make catches. Ferkser's going to make catches. He's not going to run people over. He's not going to run away from people. Right. Fitzpatrick and Reynolds, you know, it, it, you're never going to take two guys for one guy. If you play fantasy football, you know this. People offer you all the time two good guys for your one great guy. You never take that. You want the great guy. Corey Davis wasn't a great guy. Last year he was pretty great. Well, and that, I think that's what I'm, I'm And I'm getting not to. saying they should have re-signed him. I'm saying they should have done better to replace him. They... I don't think they could re-sign him. I'm not trying to make the argument that they should have re-signed John and Corey because I don't think they have the opportunity to do that. In fact, I know they didn't based on their cap structure. But if it is as simple as restructuring Ryan Tannehill and trading a second-round pick 
for Julio Jones. I don't know why you don't do that. Uh, to me, it is a no-brainer based on what you are getting in return for the production lost off of last and year. And I've heard some talk about, like, it's also well, why, even it, if it's a first-round pick, I'm okay with it. i do it if it guarantees a Super Bowl. Well, you can't guarantee a Super Bowl. You want to That's do right. the best you can in this window. That helps you do the best you can in this window. There's no guarantee. It guarantees you have a better chance. You want the best chance you can get in that window. There's no guarantee. It, nobody has a guarantee. Well, and I, I, I think there, there is an overriding assumption that A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry are going to be up to the 2020 level. And, and they, very, they, they could be, but they got to that level. A.J.'s not doubled on every single play. He was going to be in the first month of the season now. And when he's not double, that's because they're loading the box to stop Derrick Henry, who in the first month of the season last year averaged 3.7 yards per carry. So, I mean, the, the assumption that they're just automatically going to produce, uh, I think while they're, they're certainly capable, Corey Davis and Jonu Smith had a big reason, and, and Tannehill too, had a, had a big reason uh, circled as to why those guys played up to the, the level that they did. Uh, part of it is just str- just uh, strict individual alpha mentality, elite player, right? I'm not putting Corey Davis in the elite category. But his contributions early uh, are going overlooked for where the Titans finished and what we're all pointing to. And Derrick Henry's phenomenal. There's no phenomenal. question about that, right? Last year, uh, I'm scratching out a 98-yard game because that's two yards short, two yards short of, uh, of the 100. Counting the Baltimore playoff game, he had six games where he was under 100 by, by you know, a mark. Yeah. And they were three and three in those games. So they're a 500 team when he doesn't, you know, really make his mark. And Baltimore had a relatively easy time of it with the Titans, keeping him under 100. And the Titans had no answer for getting over the top. If A.J. Brown's the only guy, they're going to have no answer. Plus, listen... I understand the enthusiasm for Derrick Henry. I, I share in the enthusiasm for Derrick Henry. There's going to come a time, and it's going to be sooner, not later. I, not necessarily this year. He's going to get dinged, and he's going to slow down. And they and have to have something else. Uh, and I it can't agree. only be A.J. Brown. I agree. And, and Derrick Henry, his strong production is a great reason why they should go out and trade for, for Julio Jones and bring him in with an elite talent like A.J. Brown. Uh, just to, to quickly put a bow on my overriding point here. The Titans on second and third down were among the best in the league at moving the chains because they were clutch, very precise with getting exactly what they needed. Great quarterback play, a strong run game that uh, with an offensive line that was mowing people, uh, stiff-arming people to the ground easily. A.J. Brown, who emerged as an elite talent uh, across the NFL, not just on his own team, but across the NFL. And key contributors that week in and week out, you felt like were going to step up to make a big play. That's why they're among the top three, four teams of any offense across the country at moving the chains on second and third down. Now, take away some key pieces to that. Uh, key pieces that were contributing to wins. I'm not even pointing out the losses in the production. I'm, I'm just strictly pulling out the wins and the great start. How are they getting that engine going again? That is a huge question mark and one that can be answered by making a trade this offseason for one of the best talents to ever play the position. 
Very well said. Um, guys, during that segment, an absolute legend has decided to retire. Okay. We'll discuss when we come back. Outkick 360 rolls on. Outkick 360 rolls on with some big news on this June the 2nd. A legend announcing his retirement from college basketball, Chad. Yeah, Jeff Goodman from Stadium has the story and the exclusive. Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, 75 years old, will turn 75 in February, has decided this upcoming season is his last as head coach at Duke. Also in this story, Coach K and Duke, they've chosen former Duke player, current assistant John Shire as his successor. Tommy Amaker also considered, um, as well as uh, Johnny Dawkins was considered before they landed on John Shire. John Shire, 33 years old. So around the same time in life as Mike Krzyzewski was when he took over at Duke. Coach K ends winningest coach all-time college basketball, five national championships, three Olympic gold medals as coach of Team USA also. Um, a lot of people citing that this COVID year and the way the season went for Duke, they missed their first NCAA tournament since 1995 this year because they had a COVID issue before the ACC tournament, but they probably weren't going to be in either way. Took a toll on him, and he has decided to hang it up uh, after a, a legendary career. And it's a tie, funny tie-in, guys, because we were, I'm just saying Brad Stevens is the guy that if a job like Duke came open, yeah. a lot of people would tie him in to yeah. you know, take over for Coach K. Well, Duke has a, a plan in-house. I uh, I never liked him because I think he's so sanctimonious. But there's no denying the the amazing career he's had there, and that college basketball would be very different um, without him. And uh, Carolina Duke, obviously very different uh, since Dean Smith's been gone, and totally different without both of them. I mean, initially, uh, my first thoughts are. Uh, a, a, not just a legend is retiring. Someone that we'll, we will always compare other coaches to is stepping down. You're right. Like th this is. Well, John Shire is going to be compared to him, no doubt. Well, not about just that. him, but I, I'm, I'm, uh, generations upon generations will use Coach K as the example, and and programs will point to Duke as the example, and what he did. Um, I, I mean, I, it's just uh, one of the greats. Is, uh, well, I'm reflecting on being a part of the era where he coached. It's also, he's such a fixture in the game on, on national television yeah. all the time yeah. that when I saw that he was about to turn 75, I thought to myself, yeah, that's, it's crazy that he's that old because I, he, the assumption he's just going to coach forever. <laughs> right? Right. I never even thought about, you know, well, Coach K's going to retire soon. It's sort of like Nick Saban. At Alabama, you look at Nick Saban's age and think maybe he's going to retire soon, but he's become such a winning fixture in the sport that the assumption is they're just going to coach for eternity, and they're always going to be a visible part of the game. So when this announced, I saw this on Twitter, I'm thinking, boy, that's a big change for not just Duke, college basketball, mm -hmm. to not have Coach K as a part of the game. Krzyzewski was more vulnerable to me after the back struggles, and I saw – more uh, more potential for life without him in in coaching when I saw him struggling through that as as he did and I think it's been a persistent problem since then you could see 
He aged in a way that Saban hasn't. Saban's not as old as he is, obviously. But you can not see far behind though. Coach yet. K uh, age in a way that you haven't necessarily seen sure. on Saban yet. So I, I'm not as. I mean, it's shocking in the timing and everything. But I, 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 I I'm not. He he wasn't an ageless wonder to me that was going to go forever because I saw him broken. I always, I always viewed him through a very young lens. Yeah, you know, uh, same thing with Roy Williams and uh, how. You know, just the coincidence of them stepping down the same offseason. But it's, it is cool, you know, that you get two former players, like Hubert Davis for Carolina and Duke. Right, Hubert right. Davis, former player, versus John Shire, former player. Roy Williams is basically a, a JV player, walked yeah. on at North yeah. Carolina, but he went to school there and played there. Coach K played at Army for Bob Knight. But to have two guys who played for legends at their respective school, Hubert Davis playing for Dean Smith, John Shire playing and coaching – under Coach K, now going head to head, that rivalry is not going anywhere. It's not going to lose all of its luster because Coach K is not there. No. But I do think that it's a, a huge hit for college basketball because the reason I just said he's been such a fixture in that sport, and Duke is one of those programs that people love to hate, and that that adds to a sport. The Yankees are the baseball team people love to hate, and and just like you think he's too sanctimonious, a lot of people hate. Coach K as much as they love him, and I think that added to the sport. So it's a farewell tour year. Yeah, he getting rocking chairs all throughout the ACC, and that's a good question. Uh, we'll have to probably. Yeah, I'm sure they probably will. Probably. Um, more power to him though for doing it, for for having the. I'm I'm glad that we have the the farewell tour of Coach K as the head coach of Duke, and not just last year, where you didn't even have fans available. For, for college basketball, so um, yeah, I'm I'm all for being able to tune into ESPN and watch Duke on a nightly basis um, as as they make that tour through the ACC. Yep, I'll be doing the same. And I, what I'm not for is uh, <laughs> the the ESPN parade that will be a nightly parade. Oh, um, oh get ready for Dick Vitale, oh. baby! On the greatest ever, baby! Oh, that's oh, going to get so old annoying. quick. He, yeah. um, I'm already regretting saying I'm ready for the, the farewell tour. Yeah. I want to follow it, but I don't want to follow as closely as uh, Dickie V is going oh, to I, be just, just wait until John Calipari, because of his back issues, has to retire. And think of the gushing that's going to go on with Dick Vitale when John Calipari hangs it up. That's going to be a very emotional scene every single night for Coach Cal with his love. What a great – let's look at it from a, just a quickly uh, another angle here. What a great year for Shire. To be able to stay behind Coach K for a full another basketball season as he's about to take over on the recruiting trail, Coach K can help him. Uh, of course, he can learn uh, uh, the ins and outs of of what all that head coach job. And entails. I mean, he's already done that, you know, under Coach K for so long. Yeah, like, but now you all have those a, guys kind of watch him and follow and but they it's learn like what they uh, want to do. From it, him. It's like preparing for a gig when you're sitting out during a non-compete. Like you can work behind the scenes to make sure as soon as you take over, you hit the ground running, right? Like it. it maybe that's a bad example. I'm, I'm trying to think of the mindset that I would take if I'm him, uh, where you know it's not. It's no question that you're getting the job, and now you can perfectly place yourself in position. Which Coach K is saying that the guy already is in a great position to succeed. But you get what I'm saying. It's it's. It, he not only is in great position, he's got Coach K to lean on in every moment of what that job would entail. Like, hey, next year, this, this, this. Or yeah. be ready for this. Or uh, any, anything that may come with media obligations to recruiting to in-game coaching. 
it's a lot different than any previous experience with them going through it, knowing exactly what's I coming. think so. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, and, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm looking up Duke's coaching staff right now because I also immediately think, uh, who's going to stay on with them? Is someone going to be angry they were passed over, that John Shire at 33 got the job and they didn't, that they're going to look to go somewhere else? Or does Shire simply keep – Chris Carrawell, Nolan Smith, both younger guys, I think, than Shire. Yep. But you look at the coaching staff, do they just automatically stay on and then you're just adding one assistant because there's one coach leaving and Coach K and everything stays the same? Is there a shakeup on the staff? I doubt it. Wouldn't because you think these you'd are have Coach K guys. Guy? Yeah, I think if you're Shire, you go hire a former head coach. You know, I mean, uh, Coach K brought back Jason Capel mm-hmm. uh, for a time, Jeff Capel. Jeff Capel. Before he left for Pitt. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's. That's going to be a fascinating element of all this. Is it all just set in stone where they just keep right on trucking? More thoughts on that. Plus, we wrap up the show. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network rolls on. We do need the 360 parlay. It's time to win. It is time to win. It's winning time. Outkick 360 next. Outkick 360, the Tennessee Power Hour. Paul's about to wrap up the show with the 360 parlay. First, I want to read a direct quote from Pekka Rene, uh, backup goaltender, all-time great for the Nashville Predators. What I mean? No, it's. Uh, I just think it's a funny uh, byline. Well, for those, backup for those listening in Knoxville or Chattanooga or across the state, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't want to make it No, sound but I'm like saying it's funny to start with backup goaltender, which you're absolutely correct. That's what it okay. is right now. But when Pekka Rene retires, if they put the headline, Pekka Rene, backup <laughs> they goaltender, won't, they won't. They retires won't. from the NHL. That's, that's fair. That's fair. I should, <laughs> I, I should say all-time great before yeah. I say backup all-time goaltender. All-time beloved Fred. Fred. Um, uh, the team tweets out this is uh, says he wants to take some time to think about his future with his family and determine what's next for him. Here's the direct quote from Pekka. To be honest with you, I want to give it some time. I want to take a step after the season and think about things with my family. What do I want to do? It's a thing I'm thinking about a lot. I'm not ready to make a decision yet. That question in regards to is he retiring? Is he going back home? What is does he want to continue to play and go somewhere else with a greater opportunity? Does he want to resign, where he will be the backup goaltender for the Nashville Predators? Uh, to be determined is what Pekarene uh, said. Uh, also, to be determined, are we going to win tonight in the 360 parlay from FanDuel.com? Paul, we need a winner. We need a winner. Yeah. I I was close. I was close. <laughs> The Yanks hit a walk-off homer in extra innings last night and screwed us. Damn Yanks, they got us. Cardinals came through. The Rays did not. We're going with three teams. Paul had a choice. Three bets. I, I had two. Between two bets. I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time on this this morning. Uh, Logging in right now. Rangers at Rockies. This is a very high over-under at 11. They have bad offenses lately. Under 11. Rangers okay. at Rockies, under 11. So we're taking the under at course. Under. That's a rare play. 11 is a lot of runs in today's Major okay. League Baseball. Hawks at Knicks. Hope that spin rate's high tonight. Hawks <laughs> at Knicks. The Knicks suck right now. But I'm going with the NBA theory. It's 3-1, and the NBA does not want this series oh. over. Mm. NBA wants more Knicks basketball. Moneyline? Julius Randle can't be this bad. Moneyline, Knicks. Okay. Miami Marlins at Toronto Blue Jays. I'd like to play this bet a lot. Zero runs in the first inning. (laughs) Zero runs in the first inning. The Marlins are are bad offense. 
Zero runs in the first thing. So there's your three. That's plus five sixty-nine. Five dollars wins twenty-eight forty-six. It's so easy. Let's All that win. needs to happen are these three things, and we we win. Just Get like it. every every time. All right. Success. Game on. Game right on. Right away. Daily. And I got twenty-nine seventy on well, my. You got better odds than me. Yep. You get punished if you're the guy and you make the bet in the morning. You win. Paul, less. I will. I'll. I'll go on record. I like two of these three bets. I am skeptical the Rockies, of the Rockies Rangers under in Coors Field. Under eleven. So I'll go on record. Watch that be the only winner tonight. Now, now that I said that, that'll be the one that watch the Rockies win twelve nothing tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All Rockies. <laughs> Given our luck slash lack of skill. Fully yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can join us though. Outkicks, uh, out uh, Fanduel bets. We're going to do this every single day with Outkick bets and Fanduel.com. Fanduel.com/slash/OK360. Fanduel.com/slash/OK360. Up to a thousand dollars back if you lose your first bet as a first-time user. So if you've never joined Fanduel before, why why have you not tried this? You get up to a thousand dollars back in site credit if you lose your first bet. Opt in. Make sure it's your first bet. FanDuel.com slash OK360. If you've already joined, join us for the 360 parlay join tonight. Join together. We'll like tweet out the details if you just missed it. I will say that I've enjoyed the camaraderie of uh, checking yeah. random baseball scores with you guys. <laughs> like Actually tuning in. Oh, i got to check the score of that game that we have a parlay I want to enjoy the camaraderie of uh, filling our wallets. Yeah, that too. Winning can also breed camaraderie that we want to feel that type of camaraderie. Yes, Paul, yes, on the way yes. out, for, for those who think that Michael Pruitt is on this Titans roster, he is, in fact, having a workout today with the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, he and Delaney Walker together? Both, apparently. yes. Yeah, but that, oh. would, that, would, that would make, rest assured, he's not on the Titans roster for the Paul, why are you sleeping on Michael Pruitt? I, I would like both of them to sign, uh, ending uh, the questions. <laughs> Uh, more important for me that the Delaney new version, <laughs> the new version of Matt Dickerson is Michael Pruitt for, yeah. for Paul. <laughs> no, I, I would like Michael Pruitt here. Yeah, he was a solid contributor. Yeah, and uh, role player. Somebody, role somebody player needs to arrive here. Um, we also don't want to block the box if we're driving home. Do not block the box. Do kindly lock the locks. See ya. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.